0: So uh, during my time away, I uh, spent some time reading books and praying, so on and so forth, and came across a small little book that kind of gave me the idea for this next three-part sermon series. We are going to continue Acts, the book of Acts. We will finish that sucker, even if it's the last thing I do, okay? <laughs> but, um, but I want to spend the next three weeks... Talking about this passage, um, the book I read was called Daring to Draw Near by a guy named John White. Any of our city people, you should know John White, yeah. He's written some great, great books. It's just uh, essentially chapters of prayers of people in the Bible, and there's a prayer in there of Jacob. It's really not a prayer, but there was an interesting insight from that chapter that essentially gave me kind of the idea for this sermon series. And so I want to do uh, next three weeks. Thank you so much, Michael so thirsty getting back into the flow of things preaching is how. <laughs> my wife my supportive wife this morning goes don't put all that pressure on yourself you know you don't have to hit a home run this morning <laughs> i'm like home run i just want to do i just want to bunt well you know what i'm saying and just like get to first base that's like the goal this morning um, We will look at Genesis 32, the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Turn your Bibles there, okay? Turn your Bibles there. Uh, today what I want to do is I want to sort of set the backdrop for digging into this passage for the next two Sundays. And we're gonna, we're gonna like dig into this passage for the next two Sundays. But today what I want to do is I want to actually give you an overview of this guy, Jacob, and his life, okay? But before I do that, I want to go ahead and read Genesis 32, starting at verse 22. And this, of course, is a very, I guess, familiar passage for many of you who grew up in church. For those of you that didn't and don't know about this passage or story, boy, you're in for a treat. Verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Till daybreak. First thing, you know, I love doing this. That y'all should know about this story is that Jacob is not the aggressor. Jacob doesn't say, God, I need to wrestle with you. Look at your story. Look at the text. It's quite clear. A man wrestled with Jacob. You see that? Okay? A man wrestled with Jacob. Jacob doesn't wrestle God here, as we'll see the man is uh, God because he chose to. Jacob wrestles God because he's forced to. Okay? Jacob wrestles God because he's forced to. When somebody grabs a hold of you. And wants to wrestle you, you, have, you, have, you could do one of two things. You could either, you know, uh, run away and try to get away from his grasp, Or you're forced to wrestle in order to teach him a lesson. But when somebody picks a fight with you and wrestles you, you've got no choice. You either wrestle him or you run away. Jacob doesn't wrestle with God because he wants to. Jacob wrestles God because he has to. First thing, why is that important? Here's how this passage has been mostly preached, right? It's like goes something like this: Jacob wrestled God. He wrestled God and he prevailed. And and, and so it becomes a model of prevailing prayer, you know? And some of you guys, when you found out I was preaching this, you said to me, like, I'm really looking forward to that passage because I've been wrestling with God. (laughs) It's not what this passage is about. Not that you can't wrestle with God. This passage says Jacob is wrestling with God because God, God picks a fight with him. God forces Jacob to wrestle with him. So it's not a model of prevailing prayer. And if you wrestle with God, you know, God, it's a passage about God coming to Jacob and going, I'm going to wrestle you tonight. And Jacob going, I don't want to wrestle you tonight. And they're locked in for hours. You tracking so far? So it's going to, listen, it's going to pose some uncomfortable questions for some of us. Like, why does God do that? By the way, I don't know if I should have said it, but, but I looked at some commentaries, of course. And most commentators say that Jacob was about 97 years old. God, what you doing picking a fight with a 97-year-old man? Come on now, you know? And not only that, but he maims him. And Jacob is crippled for the rest of his life. That's not the kind of God I know. It's not the kind of God I want to worship. I know what y'all are thinking. That's why we're going to delve into this passage. The story goes on. So when the man saw... That he could not overpower. Now, that is just amazing. As you said, the man, angel of the Lord, he's God. The Bible is actually saying that God could not. Not God didn't want to. Not God chose not to. God could not overpower Jacob. There is enormous theological implications there. Huge. Which you'll have to come on week three to find out. Touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Stop, stop, stop. So again, prevailing prayer. You know, it's about wrestling with God for the blessing that I want. And then and 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 and, and, and I gotta continue to pray and wrestle with you until and the blessing, oh, unfortunately, along the lines of the job that I want. The boyfriend, the girlfriend, the marriage, the success, health, wealth, prosperity, so on and so forth. Look at carefully at what the blessing is that Jacob longs for. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Verse 29, then Jacob said, please tell me your name. You know what's huge? It's huge. When Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me, the blessing that he gets, the blessing that he needs is the name of God. The name of God, the face of God, the glory of God. Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is one of the great stories in the Bible. We'll stop right there for now, but have your Bibles ready because we're going to do a good survey of his life through Genesis. This is the, sort of the turning point in Jacob's life, okay? This is where Jacob finds out what his life means. And the way he finds out what his life means is he finds out here in this story what his main problem in life is. And it's not what he thinks. And as a result of finding out what his main problem in life is, is as a result of this encounter with God, he changes his whole basic life strategy and experiences transformation of heart. Before this encounter with God, Jacob's just like many of you and us in here this morning. He's just playing at religion. God is this divine deity figure that he's heard stories about, perhaps. But it is at this stage that he sees God for who he is. Not who he wants him to be. Not who he thinks he is. He sees God for who he is. And as a result, experiences life transformation. Okay? And when Jacob draws near... This is what he finds out. He finds out that God is a wrestler. He finds out that encountering God is an intense fight. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Now, how many of you guys already just kind of resonate with that already? Raise your hands. Yeah, yeah. Encountering God. Now, I'll tell you what. That right there, though, for a lot of people in our culture is sort of foreign. I'll tell you why. Christian Smith. Christian Smith coined the term moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism to describe what most Christians think about God and the Christian faith today Here's what moralistic therapeutic deism is Okay, first of all the end goal of moralistic therapeutic deism is therapeutic benefits So the end goal is a happy life a sex successful life a comfortable life You know the blessings of God and the blessings are material things That's the end goal and the way you get those things is moralistic or moralism. That's you're good. You behave well, you know, you're nice you be pleasantly, you obey the rules, moralistic, therapeutic underlying all this is deism. What is deism? Deism, the imagery sort of is, and when philosophers call this, it's sort of like God wound up the clock, if you will, the world. Okay. He sort of let it run and he just kind of, you know, went on vacation. So the world sort of turns, world sort of runs as it's kind of progressing along without God's intervention. Okay. And things are going to happen just because they happen. So here's what happens in moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, God exists for us, not us for him. Humanity is at the center of the stage and not God. And the way that we approach this God is to say, God, you exist for my benefits. You exist for my sort of needs, therapeutic. And the way I'm going to get those things is by being good, acting right, obeying the rules, going to church, Bible study, etc., and in this mindset, check this out. Here's what happens. God becomes really small. And his agenda and his goal becomes about meeting your needs and making you happy and making me happy. And when he doesn't, we get pretty mad. When he doesn't, we say things like, what kind of a God are you? Reality check. The God of the Bible, he's really big. The God of the Bible says he sustains the universe by the power of his word. The God of the Bible Still, by the power of the Holy Spirit, works in the life of people today and guides and leads us. The God of the Bible says that this is God's word. The God of the Bible still answers prayers. The God of the Bible says that the tomb is still empty. The God of the Bible says the church is still marching. The God of the Bible says the kingdom of God is still advancing and it doesn't need some stimulus package to bail it out. That's the God of the Bible. And check this out. He doesn't exist for you. You exist for him. And check this out. The Bible says that the sooner we get on board with that, life and all of its complexity will make sense. The reason why for many of us we're sitting here today and life doesn't make any sense, we're frustrated, we're angry, is because we think, may not say it, but we think that God exists for us. He is our beck and call. And he lives to make us happy and to give us blessings because we're good boys and good girls. The God of the Bible says, just as the sun orbits around the sun, you orbit around me. God of the Bible says, I don't exist for your agenda. I'm going to give you a whole new agenda. The God of the Bible says, I don't want to help you be a better king to rule your own little kingdom. The God of the Bible says, you bow and submit your entire life to me. That's the God of the Bible. But that God of the Bible is foreign to us. That God of the Bible is foreign to many of us. Here's what we're going to learn, you guys. Just a brief reminder as we go through this sermon series. We're going to learn that the Bible, through the Bible that God is, as C.S. Lewis said, the untamed God. He's a dangerous God. And drawing near to this God takes guts. Drawing near to this God takes guts. Unlike the lame, lifeless, spirituality light, moralistic deism of our day, this God of scripture says encounter with me will change you encounter with me will transform you but encounter with this God let me say it one last time and I'll move on is a dangerous guts requiring endeavor you you still want to meet him you still want to encounter him you sure because if that's your desire, I'm going to tell you, next two weeks is not going to be a seminar, okay? My job is simple. My job is to open God's word and reveal to you who God is. For real. Okay? If you're with me, say amen. amen. And more than any other passage, this passage will show us what encountering God will be like. It's a wrestling match. It'll be a fight. Uh, John White in his book says, if I knew how to make you tremble and quake in God's presence, I would. And boy, I wish that that would be true. If I could make you tremble and quake in God's presence, I would. How do we encounter God? Let's look at this passage, but before we do, let's go all the way back. And I want to I wanna sort of survey the, 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 the life of Jacob and how he gets Genesis 30 to answer this wrestling with God. In order to do that, Everybody take a deep breath? Everybody take a deep breath? Okay. In order to do that, we've got to go all the way back to where this whole deal began, okay? And that's with his grandfather. And his grandfather's name was? Who? Abraham, okay? So God appears to Abraham, and God says what? What? God says, I have a mission for you and your family, Abraham. I want to save the world. I look at the world that I've created. It's filled with sin and wickedness and wretchedness and rebellion. But I have plans for the world. I want to redeem it. I want to restore it. I want to save and redeem the whole world. And the way I'm going to do it is I choose you. And I'm going to choose your family to do that. And Abraham, check this out. Within each family, I'm going to pick a child who will carry on the messianic line, who will be the ultimate savior of the world. So in each family... Each family, I will pick a Messianic child, and that child I will watch, I will nurture, I will protect, and I will bless. And through that child, another child will be born, and another child will be born. And that Messianic child will ultimately be the Messiah who will save the world. And, of course, God gives, long story short, uh, Abraham a son, and his son's name is... Isaac, right? Isaac is Jacob's father. So Isaac, God says the same thing to Isaac. Isaac, just as I told your father, I will choose a child from your family, and you will carry on the messianic line. So he marries Rebecca. And Rebecca has twin boys. Parents, anybody have twins? Yeah? Okay. Twin boys. Small problem, right? Twin boys. Look at the uh, look at your text. Follow your Bible. This is Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now check this out, you guys. Very important. Traditionally, it was the older son who carried on the family line. It was the older son who get the inheritance, the blessing. But God appears to Isaac and says, "What?" Isaac says, "I have different plans for you. I have different plans for you. It's not going to be the older. I choose the younger. The last one out will serve the first one out, or the first one out will serve the last one out. The younger will rule over the older." Chapter uh, twenty-five, verse twenty-four. Story goes on. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in the room. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I'm glad you find that humorous. So they named him Esau. They might know what his name Esau means. It means hairy one, okay? Very creative, right? Family said, why shall we name him? hairy one, Esau. Okay. So that's what they named him. Okay. Verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Does anyone know what Jacob means? Jacob's name means literally schemer, wrestler, conniver, manipulator. He was supplants another to sort of get what he wants. Again, it's very appropriate for who he will be, Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Do you notice when you read the Old Testament? I mean, old people are giving birth to children like left and right. <laughs> I mean, good God, 60 years old. Did you know? 27, the verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, check this out, pay attention, loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Here's what's happening. I love Bible stories, okay? Here's what's happening in this text. As they grew up, the boys grew up, here's what happened. Isaac doesn't like the choice of God. Isaac doesn't like the choice of God. Between the two boys, guess who Isaac likes? Between the two boys, he likes Esau. Esau, guys, Esau is a man's man right? He wears camouflage gear, all right? <laughs> he goes hunting, okay? He chews tobacco, you know? He wears waders and goes fish. I'm totally like stereotyping, right? <laughs> there are people listening to this podcast like in Mississippi going, he talking about me, right? Esau, Esau is a man's man, you know what I'm saying? He's not a man's man. He's got a temper, you know? He's violent. He's impetuous, you know? Jacob, he's a mama's boy, you know? <laughs> he hangs on his mom. He, he plucks his eyebrows. I don't know. He, he <laughs> he, he, you know, he's not, not a girly man, but, you know, you kind of get this impression. He's just kind of, you know, I'm going to do something. I didn't think I was going to do this. How many of y'all guys? And ladies, you need to look around for this one. How many of y'all resonate with Esau? There are two guys in our church. Oh, my gosh. All right, so single ladies, like if y'all wanted a man's man, it looks like you have to go to another church, okay? Because you're not going to find a man's man in this church. I'm sorry, what was I talking about? Okay. Oh, okay, so so here's very important. I'm sorry. So here's very important, very important, very important. Okay. So Isaac, Isaac sees himself in Esau. Isaac sees himself in Esau. And you know what? This is so like can, can't can many of you guys like totally resonate? I mean, this is family, right? It's family dynamic. So Esau, Esau is Isaac's favored child, and 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 Jacob is Rebekah's favorite child. And Isaac Hears and knows what God's desire is. God comes to Rebecca and the entire family and says, I have chosen the younger. Jacob will carry in the family line. And Isaac does something. He hides behind culture at that time to essentially deny what God desires. And culture at that time, as I said before, is that the older one. Get the blessing. The older one would get the inheritance. The older one, everybody expected to. The older one got the lion's share of the estate. The older one sort of became the CEO of the family estate. The older one will be ruler over the entire family. Isaac doesn't like the choice of God. Isaac doesn't like God's will and desire for his life. So he resists God's will. What does Jacob do? Jacob knows what God has said. Jacob knows that the promise is given to him. And Jacob grows up in this context where his father says, I know what God has said, but I choose the older. All of Jacob's life, read Genesis, is about him trying to, by human effort and manipulation, get the blessing that God had already promised him anyway. His entire life, Jacob, I'm talking to you. His entire life is about getting the blessing, getting the thing that he thinks is rightfully his because he doesn't trust God by using his effort, manipulation, ingenuity, deceit, lies. Let me just stop here and say something that's so so important for just understanding the bible as a whole okay because when you look carefully at the stories in the bible here's what you see and you and i have sort of romanticized these sunday school characters you know to sort of model and to emulate and of course that doesn't help that some of us that grew up in church we had pastors telling us you know bible stories and saying be like jacob you know be more like Isaac, you know, be more like him. And, and we're told these things. But when you see the Bible carefully, far from being moral examples for us to copy, we see the Bible through venices, even people that are full of flaws, full of character flaws, just jacked up. I mean, they're just messed up people. Why? Here I go again. There's not a single page in the Bible that doesn't talk about the difference between gospel and religion. Hello, Peter. Welcome back. There's not a single page in the Bible to talk about the difference between gospel and religion. The Bible constantly addresses what's the difference. Religion says this. Pay attention. Religion says here are Bible characters to model. Here are the Bible characters to exemplify. Here are the Bible characters you need to be like. And when you are like them, when you follow them, when you copy your life and pattern your life after them, then God will bless you. That's religion. Here's the problem. Small problem. When you look carefully at the Bible, rather than examples of right living, you see people that are messed up, broken, full of flaws, human weaknesses, just like the rest of us. Isaac is ignoring the desires of God, hiding behind his culture, blatantly saying, I love you way more than him. That's just bad parenting. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Jacob, Can't stop lying, can't stop manipulating, can't stop deceiving. So why are these stories in here? So that you and I could be pointed to them and saying, be like Jacob and God will bless you. Really? Be like Isaac and God will bless you. By the way, if you're not a Christian here, and, and 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 you've kind of been exposed to other religions, and this has just thrown you off because you're going. I thought the whole Christianity and the whole Bible was about how you need to be a good person, and if you are a good person, then the God blesses you. Isn't that why these characters are in here? Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. The point of the Bible is not to show you models and examples of good living and say, if you if you are live like them, then God will bless you and save you. The point of the Bible is this. It's God constantly breaks into your life and my life and people like Jacob and people like Isaac with his grace. Who don't deserve it. Who don't look for it. Who don't even appreciate it once they get it. That's the story of the Bible. The point of the Bible is not to show you these stories and point you towards how to live a good life. The Bible's message is God breaks into your life despite you, in spite of you. And he saves you, heals you, and transforms you from sin and brokenness that you otherwise would never be able to overcome. The story of the Bible is God breaking into life of flawed, messed up characters and exposing them to his grace. The point of the Bible is never about be like these people. For crying out loud, we're already like them. <laughs> the point of the Bible is not show you how to live a good life. It's about how we need God to live a new life. Amen. That's the point of the Bible. The Bible is not. You know, think about this. Think about the essence of Christianity. The amazing news is that Jesus Christ then comes on the stage, and Jesus Christ is the only one that did it right. Think about it, right? Jesus Christ is the only person who did it right. He's the only person who lived a perfect life. The Bible doesn't say, now live like Jesus, and God will bless you. Listen carefully. Jesus as a model is not the gospel. Jesus as an example is not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus Christ knew that you and I couldn't be like him to save our lives. So he came and lived the life we should have lived, and he came and died the death we should have died. And when we place our faith in him and surrender our life to him, God accepts us as if we had lived that perfect life. Isn't that good news? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's why there's hope for people like Jacob. Jacob. There's a hope for people like Isaac. I'm sorry if some of you guys are just sitting there going, that's not what I heard in the Sunday school. I'm sorry. But read your Bibles. God comes along. And the whole Bible is about the unfolding and revealing by God of his salvation to the world. Application, real quick. You know what the great news is? Check this out. I don't care how badly you have screwed up your life. I don't care what enormous mistakes you've made. Let me be painfully specific. I don't care how many people you've slept with. I don't care what kinds of substances, drugs you're involved in now. I don't care what addictions you wrestle with. I don't care if you've killed people. Seriously. You can never write yourself off from God's final script. God doesn't have plan A for your life, Grace, and here's a plan B for your life, Grace. And boy, if you mess up the plan A for your life, well, we're just going to have to go with plan B. There's no plan B for your lives. Amen? The whole Bible, story of God's. So I don't care what you've done. I really, really don't. God could take any raw material and make it beautiful fit for a king. He could take any raw, messed up material and break into that life with his grace. Despite you, in spite of you, whether you appreciate or not, God knows. God knows I don't appreciate his grace. But he gives it anyway. That's just amazing news. Amen. Oh, story goes on. So God comes to Isaac and he says, Jacob's the one. And Isaac promptly says, uh-uh, I don't think so. So if, you, if you've ever had the experience where God comes to you and does something to you and you go, uh, I don't think so. You've got good company. Bible's full of people like that. Isaac doesn't like God's will. He resists God's will, and he takes control of his life. The first and the primary sin in Jacob's life, not to, you know, absolve Jacob of of, of responsibility, but it's it's, it's Isaac. Because it's in this context of Isaac's unwillingness to follow God's will for his life that we begin to see Jacob's character being shaped. Jacob. By the way, how many of y'all named Jacob in this church? Raise your hands. Okay, we've got a couple of Jacobs in here. Do y'all know, know growing up what your name meant? Yeah? Okay, okay. But there's redemption for us, amen? Okay, all right. <laughs> so Jacob, in this context, grows up, and his name means schemer, manipulator, you know, wrestler, supplanter, you know, uh, a deceiver uh, in, order to, in order to get what he wants. Jacob's name literally means what he becomes. He knows what God's word of promise has said, that he would be the one to carry on the family name the blessing but Jacob listen doesn't trust God and when Jacob doesn't trust God he does what you and I do when we don't trust God what do we do church we take matters Oh you finish the sentence for me When we don't trust God, doesn't matter if God has revealed his plans and promises. Clearly, he has said it. When we don't trust God, we take matters into our own hands. So it becomes something like this. You know, God, I know what you said. I know what your promises are, but I don't quite trust you. You know, your timing is a little off. (laughs) By like two years. You know, I'm like 29. I thought I'd be married by 27. You're like two years off. God, I don't quite trust you, you know, because, because I, I wouldn't do it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was me, I wouldn't do it that way. Anybody say that? Or say, God, I don't quite trust you because really, like, I need to go through that and go through that in order to, like, get there? So because I don't trust you, what do we do? I am going to take matters into my own hands. I don't know. Anybody relate to that? Think about that and then read this very familiar text. You all know how the story goes. Genesis 25. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, by the way, this reminds me, y'all bring lunch today. We're gonna go long, people. I'm just kidding. I'll be done in about 40 minutes. Okay, so verse 32. (laughs) Quick, salad. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Verse 30. He said to Jacob, So quick, let me have some of that stew. Esau, man's man. He can't stand, he can't stand being hungry. You know what I'm saying? He can't stand like not eating right away. (laughs) He's a man's man, you know. Confession time. Can I just I can't wait like for more than 15 minutes at a restaurant. Like for my food. (laughs) I know, I'm like pathetic. That's why I have boycotted hot dogs. Anyway, okay, so we hot dogs, okay, hot dogs. (laughs) Jacob replied, First sell me your birthright. What is Jacob doing, church? He is taking matters into his own hands. Verse 32, look, I'm about to die. You know why? It's, I mean, good for good crying out loud. <laughs> it, it just preaches itself. You know what I'm saying? It's me, you know? And thank God for my wife. How many guys have you ever said, I'm starving to death? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, like three people, right? That's Jacob. I'm starving to death, man. I'm going to die of hunger. Right sell me your birthright. Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he (laughs) drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Okay, I I need to talk. There is somebody sitting here right now, and, and you Don't trust God. Like two people here, you don't trust God. You have at one time, you have. But that trust has, you know, waned over the weeks and months and years. And because you don't trust God, you are sitting here and you either have already or you are in the process of taking matters into your own hands and you're saying, I am going to make this happen. You're somebody sitting here today and saying, "God, I have been faithful to you. I have kept myself single, and I have been. You know, I just need to talk about this because you know, sixty percent of our churches, I think, is single. I, I've waited faithfully, but you know what, God? Two years, three—that's a long time. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, he, he he might not be a Christian, you know, but but his name is Christian, so close enough, you know." <laughs> Or I don't know if this is taboo, but if you're Latino, you know, his name is Jesus, so that's close enough too, you know. (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done waiting. He doesn't love Jesus. By the way, notice I didn't say he's a Christian. I said he doesn't love Jesus. You don't want to be with somebody who doesn't love Jesus. You do not. And so you're sitting there, I'm going to take matters into my own hands because that ship is about to sail and it may never come back. You're sitting there today and you're going, God, I know what your promises said, but you know what, this business transaction, that business opportunity might never come back back, you know? And so I, I don't know. I don't know if I, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Oh, by the way. Yeah. I might have to, you know, lie. I might have to deceive. I might have to compromise on some things, but the reality is I don't know if I trust you and the list goes on and on. Can I just say something to you personally, please? Listen, can I just say something to you? Never, ever violate the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God. Never, ever violate the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God. And I'm going to be firm with you today. I'm going to say this. I don't care how long you've invested in that relationship. If you're in a place you're violating principles of God, walk away. If you're sitting there going, that job opportunity, do you know how much I've invested in that, but yet you are violating the principles of God in order to maintain the blessings of God? Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's never worth it. So Jacob is taking matters into his own hands. And maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're saying, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I want to just remind you that God is not incompetent, nor is he impotent. He's got it. He's in control. Neither is he unloving or uncaring for many of us struggling with that thing. Do you really love me? And I say this every Sunday I'm up here and I will continue to say this until I croak and die. The cross of Christ is the ultimate proof, the only proof we will ever need of the lengths to which he will go for you. Because he loves you. Because he wants the best for you. So anytime you're tempted to say, God, you're incompetent or you're impotent, or you're to say, you're uncaring and loving because this wouldn't happen, put your eyes on the cross and meditate on who Christ is and what he has done. And the length that he has gone. But here's the thing. Can I, just, I, I just need to stop here and just say this to you. Look, Jacob wrestles with this because of the same reason that we wrestle with this. I get in my office, people walking in day after day. And one of the two primary things a lot of people wrestle with is, Peter, I don't trust God. And there are a number of reasons why they don't, but that's also the essence of what they wrestle with. I don't trust God. And I'm going to be gentle about this and affirm. Many people don't trust God for the same reason that Jacob couldn't trust God. Jacob doesn't know God. So let me just, just stop right there, okay? Because if you're sitting there going, all right, I'm tuning out. I don't know God? (laughs) You're sitting there going, you don't know God. Don't you tell me I don't know God. Just chill out. Chill out. Chill out for a second, okay? I I was just going to do a little exercise here for a moment. Jacob doesn't know God. It's clear until he comes to Genesis 32 and he sees God's face and he realizes, "Ho, that's you. He doesn't know God. He knows stories about God. He's even known what God has said, but he doesn't know God. And for many of us, it's the same reason. We don't trust God ultimately because we don't even know this God or his character. And here's the thing. All Jacob needed to do was pay attention to the promises of God. What God has clearly said about him, about Jacob, and his life. What God has to do to you and me about knowing this God, encountering this God, is written in thousands of ways in his word and in, of in, in his promises. And yet, we don't know God because we don't know the promises of God, and so we don't trust God, and we take matters into our own hands. Does that make sense? So I want to do a little exercise of this morning because because I just want to show you there's some promises of God that reveal its character in Scripture that has been meaningful to me and that has been powerful for me. And this may not directly address your per current issue about I trust you with this God or should I trust you with this God? But I just want to give you an example of what it's like to know the promises of God beyond my intellectual knowledge and have the promises of God penetrate our hearts that reveal His character like Romans eight twenty eight. For, God says, "In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. And we have been called on according to the purpose. Do you ever pay attention to that? God says, "For in what? In say with me? All things. That includes mountaintop experiences that includes valley experiences that includes sicknesses that includes illnesses that includes successes that includes gift of children that includes dark lonely times that includes frustrating times all things God says I work for your good that is in everything that happens in our life it has come through our sovereign God's hand for our good and for his glory. Jim, think about that. Jim, think about that. So it changes the dark night of the soul. It changes the times when we are just in despair. It, it, it changes our perspective of very things that we go through, when that promise becomes this weighty, glorious treasure for our souls, that God works for the good of all those who love Him. And then there's this promise, Philippians 1:6. Anybody know what that says? I remember first as I was growing as a Christian, just just devouring the Bible and intellectually and mentally my knowledge being expanded about God, but just going through dry, stagnant times spiritually. Anybody relate to that? Just going through dry spiritual times and going, God is my life, spiritual life. Even have a pulse to come across promise like this. Philippians 1:6. For it is he who began this good work in you. And God comes along and says, Peter. Uh, Did you start that? Mm, The answer is no, you didn't start that. I started it. That work, I started it. He who, I who began this work in you, and check this out, will bring it to completion. I mean... uh, and all of a sudden, it changes my perspective and says, God, even during those times when I'm just dry spiritually, even those times when I just feel like you're not close, I can't sense you, even during those times when I feel like, God, my intimacy with you is something that I don't even encounter, God says, This weighty promise, even during those times, God is growing you, God is maturing you, and God is finishing what He started. In the frigid winters when you walk out and you see that tree without any leaves and it just looks dead. The truth and reality is that that tree is alive and growing. Some of y'all need to hear that today. How would that change? It? What about this one? First Corinthians 10, 13. Anybody know what that says? Check this out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear so that you can stand up under it. I mean, you ever just think about what that promise says? That God says, listen, listen, there will be nothing that will come into your life that will cause to destroy you or or, or to implode you. God says, every single sin that happens in your life doesn't have to master you because I have provided a way out. This promise that says every time we are tempted that God will send nothing into our lives, that he hasn't already, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, given us the power and ability to stand up under it. Is that good news? And it becomes this weighty, glorious, treasure, worship-filled promise of God. And then there's this one, Joshua 1.5, simply says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That during times when we feel like, God, I am alone. God, I, I am utterly isolated. That God's promise comes and says, my child, my silence is not absence. And my hiddenness is not abandonment. And I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. What would happen to us if these promises, powerful, weighty promises of God uh, uh, Holy Spirit took these promises of God and revealed His character to us. Would that cause you to look at your life right now differently? Let's go on. Jacob knows the word, a promise that's given to him that he's the child of blessing. But as we'll see in the scripture, guys, he doesn't believe it. He does not believe it. So he grows up. Believing that something is standing between him and his destiny. Listen, listen, everybody, look up here. This is very important as we go through the next two Sundays. Jacob is, is, is taking matters into his own hands because he believes that there is something standing between him and his destiny. In particular, check this out. very important. He believes in the heart of hearts that Esau is the problem in his life that is standing between him and his destiny. He lives his entire life from the perspective of Esau is the problem of my life. If it weren't for Esau, I wouldn't be the way I am. If it weren't for Esau, my life would be different. If it weren't for Esau, my life wouldn't have turned out the way it did. If it weren't for Esau, my life would have taken a whole different trajectory. Esau is the main problem in my life, his whole perspective. And God says, surprise. Oh, we'll get to that. moment. a Jacob <laughs> tries to take control of his life. To get for himself the blessing that he and his mother knew that God had sent the promise that God would do. But because they lacked trust in him. And just practical application. uh, (laughs) Jacob struggles half of his life to gain for himself the very things that God planned to give him anyways. And in the end, check this out, Jacob gets exactly what God planned to give him and 21 years of anxiety. So, you can do it your way, you can do it God's way. Because at the end, you may get exactly that which God planned to give you anyways, plus 21 years of anxiety. Okay, one quick application and then I'm going to go, okay? How many of you are praying for something right now? Okay? All right. How many are praying for something right now? And you're saying, God, I'm praying for this because I believe that God's will is in this. I believe that God's desires in this. So the unselfish God, I've surrendered to you. I'm praying. How many of you are doing that? Okay. All right. So like half of the hands go down now, right? Like, oh, no, that's not what I was talking about, you know? I'm praying for my. If you are praying for something right now, here's the question. If you're a thinking person and you've heard this message this morning that you're asking me. You're asking me is, Peter, I pray for this. So are you telling me that instead of just taking matters, I need to just sit here and wait passively for God to act? Because if I act and work actively to secure what it is that I'm praying for, it sounds like you're saying I'm taking matters into my own hands. Anybody? What's the difference? Here it is. Everything comes down to your motive. Uh huh. In other words, are you working actively because you trust God? Are you working actively because you might as well make sure that you secure what you want? There's activity that springs from faith, and there's activity that springs from lack of faith. Another way to ask, is your behavior the behavior of someone who is counting on God's faithfulness and his power, or is your behavior the behavior of somebody who says, God, you need a little extra insurance, you know. Be honest with yourself and ask as you're praying and as you're about to be actively involved in securing the answer to their prayers, what is your motive? I trust God. I know that God is in this. His will be done. Or... I don't trust God. I don't ever want this to not happen or happen the way that I don't want it to. So I'm going to. Let's go on. Finish the story. Isaac is now very, very old. And he's about to die and he wants to put the house in order. And, and you know, this, this passage right here is really long, so I'm just going to read a portion of it. But you guys do remember the story? So Isaac wants to now finally give the blessing to who? Esau. He still will not submit to God's will, surrender to God's will. He wants to give the blessing to Esau. And Isaac is literally saying, God, I know what you said, but I don't care what you've said. I'm going to do my own thing. So what does he do? He says, Esau, come on in, boy. Esau comes in and says, I'm about to die. Here's what I want you to do. You know I love that meat, right? It's like, Yes, Father, what I want you to do? I want you to go out. I want you to hunt some good meat. I want you to cook that stew that I like. I want you to bring it in, and I'll bless you. The whole time, of course, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is outside the tent. Oh, it's time. Jacob, it's time. Our plan of action. You ready? So what does she do? She has Jacob put on animal skin to make his arms and legs and face hairy, right? In case his father reaches out and touches him. And then she cooks his favorite meal. You know, wives know what husband's favorite meal is. You know what I'm saying? So he cooks his favorite meal and he's smelling, oh, man, that smells good, right? Okay, favorite meal. And he says, she says to Jacob, Jacob, take this sin so your father will bless you. And then there's this comical scene. I mean, for crying out loud. Jacob goes in with the dish, and his father says, hmm. <laughs> Man, you think Bible characters are like godly people? Jeez, look at the story, right? And Isaac says, hmm, you don't sound like Esau. You sound like Jacob, but hmm, hmm. Yes, yes, you're hairy. <laughs> you're, 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 you're Esau, you're Esau, right? Come on, boy! Bring some of that food. Bring some of that food. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just figuring: Is Jacob sitting there going? <laughs> you know, I mean, what's he doing, right? Is he sitting trying to like not crack up, or I wonder if Jacob's sitting there going, "I can't believe my mom and I are doing this to like my father." Well, if you know the rest of the story, Jacob's probably sitting there going. <laughs> so look what happens. Verse 27, chapter 27, Isaac blessed Jacob and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. <laughs> you know you know what I wonder? I wonder? I wonder if like Rebecca got some dirt, you know what I'm saying? And just rubbed it all over Jacob, you know? So he smelled like the earth. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. You guys, this is so important for next week. Jacob lives, it's his name, second time. He lives up to his name second time. He deceives, he manipulates in order to gain for himself what God planned to give him any. His entire life from here on will be a pattern of deceit being deceived, deceived being deceived. I left a little story out because we don't have time. There's a story of how he finds his wife, you know. He meets his match and in, in a guy named Lot, right? And so he will have a reminder of his deception, you know. He marries the older sister accidentally, right, because he really wanted the younger though. Do you guys know this story, right? right. And so he has like an ugly wife, like for the rest of his life, you know, to be a reminder, I just what did I do that for? The Bible says, look at your Bible, okay? Okay, anyway. Verse 30. Verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Verse 33, underline this in your Bible. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came. I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. Old Testament scholars will tell you the reason why he's shaking violently is not because he's angry. Isaac is not angry. He's not going, what? I have been duped. Isaac is angry. violently shaking, not because he's angry, but because he's repenting. The penny dropped and he realizes God has done this. God has come and said, Isaac, my sovereign will will stand. And the reason why he's violently shaking is he's saying to his son, Esau, I am done fighting God. I'm done fighting God. Uh, But uh, Esau isn't. Because, you know, he's a man's man. You know, he he doesn't go away quietly. So look what happens. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. In other words, when my father's dead, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Esau still has his blinders on, culture blind. He says, I'm the oldest. I deserve this blessing. I don't care what God said. I don't care if he's been duped. My father's been duped. I am going to get that blessing. In order for me to get that blessing, I will kill my brother. And make sure and get it so jacob has to run jacob has to flee from the very things that his heart yearns for for the very things that he is working so hard for for the from the very things his family the inheritance the land his mother his brothers his sisters everything that he wants to get he has to flee why i'm going to take matters into my own hand i'm going to read one last text one last text and then we're going to come back next week backdrop genesis 28 from the passage, this is Jacob's latter passage. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set off for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are, dying, you are lying. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Church, just a really, really simple question. You ready? Does Jacob deserve this? Does Jacob deserve such grace? Does Jacob deserve such favor? Why is there hope for Jacob? Why is there hope for you? Why is there hope for me? Check this out. It's the character of God. There's hope for us, for redemption, for healing, for wholeness, for blessing. Not because we deserve it, but because God is good. God comes along and says, I'm going to do these things anyway because I'm God. And you know what Jacob does? He has the audacity to say, look. Look at what Jacob has the audacity to say. Hopefully you read this passage in a different light. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, read it with me. If God, what, 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 whoa, 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 time out, time out. Why? Rewind like six, seven verses earlier. Jacob here's what God says, and he says, what? If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and if, you know, God will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, you know, and if, you know, I return safely, uh, this is my interpretation, okay? If I return safely to my father's house, will, then, Lord, I will make you my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you've given me, I will give you a tenth. Uni, come on up. We're finishing up. Uh, does anybody else find that task amazing? God says, I will bless you. I will give you inheritance. I'll give you the land. I will fulfill all these things that I told you I would. And I and Jacob's response is, you scratch my back. I scratch your back. That's his response. His response is, God, if you can be close to air, if you will feed me, if you will do all these things, if you'll show all these things that are clearly, you know, then maybe I will worship you and make you my God. Listen very carefully. Listen very, very, very carefully. God doesn't negotiate with you, He never has, and He never will. And can I just tell you something else? If you have a God that will negotiate with you, He's not worthy of your worship. And here's the other thing about this that you need to know and I need to know. And this is where we need to park sort of for the next two weeks. Listen, what Jacob is saying when he says, if you will bless me, if you'll bless me, he's not just articulating lack of trust and lack of faith in God. He is revealing in his heart of hearts what his real God is, what his real treasure is, what the real non-negotiable in his life is, and that is the blessing. How many times do I have to tell you guys in this church? How many times I have to yell at you guys and say, if your approach to God is God, if you will, you know, do this, if you will, you know, do that, if you will do this, then I will serve you, then I will worship you, then I will love you. Whatever is on the other side of that, if that is your real God, that is your real God, that is your real foundation in your treasure." And unless you deal with whatever it is that's on the other side of the if, that is your real God, that is your real treasure, you will never encounter the real God and experience life transformation. Do you hear me? Jacob will meet God face to face. And the first thing that God does, let's deal with the other side of the if, shall we? The blessing that you so desperately want. That you think will meet your needs. When we come back next week, here's where we're going to end. You know what God does? God blesses him anyway. Amazing. 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 But that tells me actually something very critical. Just because God answers your prayer and gives you the other side of the if, doesn't mean that, you know. God blesses him. Becomes an independent wealthy man. Man. He's enormous. It's been 20-some years. He has enormous inheritance, enormous treasure, enormous family, all these things. God has blessed him. And finally, Jacob decides, now I'm going to go back home. Now I'm going to go back home. And this is Jacob's mindset, okay? We're going to come back to this next week. Jacob's mindset as he goes back home is this. Now I'm going to go back, and now I'm going to finally deal with the main problem in my life. Now I'm going to finally deal with the main problem in life. The person who's been standing in the way between me and my destiny with God. The issue in my life. I will deal with him finally. It's high noon. And as he sent everybody out first, he's alone with God at night. And God comes to him. And God says, Jacob, you think the main problem in your life is your brother? You think that the main problem in your life is the fact that you've been fighting your brother for your destiny? God comes to Jacob and says, you're not fighting your brother. You're fighting me. God comes to Jacob and says, you're fighting me for control over your life to manipulate, to deceive, to have that you want. You've been fighting, not your brother, not your father. You've been fighting me all your life. And just maybe, just maybe in the next two weeks, if you are sitting there today, and you might be open to say maybe the question, God, maybe I'm willing to acknowledge that the problem in my life isn't what I've felt and thought all my life, which is my mom, my dad, my parents. I didn't get into that school. I didn't get that job. I'm not smart enough. I'm not. Maybe the problem problem in our lives is none of those things. Maybe, just maybe, the problem on us from encountering God is that we have said to ourselves, I'm fighting him, her, that. But all of our lives, what we've essentially been doing is fighting God. And God has the audacity to come to you and me and say, because I love you, and I'm not going to let you be where you're at even if I have to wrestle you into transformation, I want to change you. Bow your heads. All right, I only went for an hour. That's good. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Bow your heads with me and let's pray together. I want to give you... I want to give you not long, but just a moment to reflect. Don't, you know, don't, don't shut your brain off. Don't maybe even just attitude wise, you know, say I, that, that just stupid nonsense. He just said, man, what the, what the heck are you talking? You don't, you don't know me. You don't know my family. Listen, friend, I'm not claiming to know you. I'm not claiming to know your family. I said, just, just, just ask, just ponder that maybe. Maybe the core essence and source of your, rest, your struggles and where you're at is not that person, that thing, that job. But maybe it is that you have your entire life struggled and fought to take control of your life and do it your way. And maybe, just maybe, in these next few weeks as we wrestle with this sex and God, just maybe, if your heart is open, you're humble enough to have God speak to you truth that you can say, God, you're right. Fighting you. It's you. It's you. Because the first step towards change and transformation is your willingness to be just blatantly and painfully honest with this God. Can you do that? Can you do that? So, Holy Spirit, as we, as, we, as we sit and just open ourselves to you, will you speak? Holy Spirit of God, speak. Speak. Maybe, just maybe, some of you are today at that point of readiness to say, God, I'm done fighting you. It's scary. It's absolutely scary. But God, I'm done fighting you. I'm done fighting your will for my life. I'm done fighting you. Your will for my life. Tell them that. Tell them that. Tell him that. Don't worry about the next steps and what that means and what it's going to look like. Just tell them that. Just tell them, say, God, I'm done fighting. I, I, I'm done, God. I'm done fighting. I'm done fighting you, God. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak and reveal, God, the depths of our hearts. Search our hearts, God. Dig up what is in our hearts, God, so there will be absolute, utter honesty, raw honesty and authenticity with the living God this morning, that as you have spoken, God, as you have ministered, God, Father, repentance for saying, God, if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will do this. Repentance, God, for worshiping other false God, worshiping other false idols, worshiping mad-made things that we've desired before you, we've wanted more than you. We repent of that, God. We uproot the foundations of our lives. We're building our lives on, say, God, let that foundation be you. Let that anchor be you. Let the utter, utter, utter foundation anchor be you, God. It's not about the blessing. It's not about any things in this world. It's about you. In utter humility, and utter, utter, utter humility, God, we come and say, we're done. Fight. If you're not ready to do that this morning, that's totally cool totally cool I want you to make sure and come back and listen to the rest of this story so that you would see God for who he is let's all stand together church as the worship team leads us in this final song of response worship worship your God worship your God worship your God God, will you continue to speak as we leave this place? We are your people. You are our God. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of history. Remind us of the mission that we have each and every day and the fact that we have been empowered and equipped with all that we need, Holy Spirit, to fulfill that mission for your kingdom in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. If you're interested in being a part of the tech team, set up, tear down. Please go to the information table where we'll have somebody answering your questions. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you back here next week.